Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. It's a little different, I'm not going to lie. We actually have people in our audience this morning. Uh, as you have heard, we've had some volunteers up here that are getting trained in anticipation and to get ready for next week, our first week, to kind of get people back. And so I have spent the last two and a half months staring <laughs> into the eye, the soulless eye of a camera speaking. And uh, it is good to have some people back in the room, people made in the image of God with me here as we finish out uh, the end of Philippians. And so thank you if you are joining us online or if you are sitting in here. I do want to warn you, there are a few students that uh, are volunteering, and so they are in here right now. If you see anything fly in my direction, it's probably one of them. It'll take me a few seconds to gather my thoughts and then get back to uh, Philippians. But um, so happy that you are joining us. Uh, up to this point, we have kind of been going through the book of Philippians in this confined and content series uh, and seeing that Paul, like last week, is dealing with mild conflict that is taking place. Uh, in chapter 2, he's, he's asking them uh, to be united in mind and purpose and love and spirit and, uh, and, and asking them to take on the same self-giving perspective and, and uh, attitude that Christ took on, uh, you know. And so as Philippians has been laying out, he's, he's been encouraging, encouraging them as well through suffering. And uh, now we get to kind of what I would say is, is the best way to end a series called Confined and Content with this last bit of chapter 4. And I have to warn you that this last bit of chapter 4 is, is in here we will find the verse that I would say is the most taken out of context verse in the entire Bible, if not the entire Bible, at least, at least in the New Testament. We will, but it will, as we see what the actual context of this verse is, Philippians 4.13, it's the perfect way for us to end, and it's extremely powerful to our lives as, as we get to kind of unfold and see what this context is. Now, not going to lie, this verse can sometimes get me on a rant when some people use it incorrectly, so much so that the guys that I disciple know this about me, and so they will use it out of context every once in a while just to kind of get me angry uh, and, and kind of make me, you know, give them that little rant, and they'll do it on purpose. It says a lot about the guys that, that I disciple. Um, but today, as we see it within its context, one, I don't want to be ranting for the next 25 minutes. Uh, and two, I think that it kind of uncovers this powerful meaning when it comes to being confined uh, and, and con content. So verse, verse 10, let's start there. Paul says, as he closes down this letter, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Now I know you were concerned before, but had no opportunity to do anything. So, so Paul is kind of, he's, he's making sure as he gets to this closing part of the letter that he's, he's making sure to tell them thank you for what they have sent him. I, in my opinion, it probably is the only part of this entire letter that Paul is actually obligated to say to the church in Philippi. 
They had sent him a gift. They were always concerned with him. We, we know that this isn't the only time that they sent him something. And so we see that they are just always thoughtful towards Paul and towards his ministry and his needs. They're always thinking about those things. And apparently, they finally had been made aware of an opportunity to give. We're not dealing in the days of email or texting where they were just made aware immediately. No, as Paul is in Rome and they are in Philippi, hundreds of miles apart, they get word that Paul could use some things, that he could have some cares uh, taken care of for him. And so they send him not just a financial gift, but they also send him Epaphroditus to deliver this gift, but also to care for Paul with the needs that he had. In verse 11, he goes on to say, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. So Paul does this awkward dance here of making sure that he understands that the church is grateful for what they have done in their thoughtfulness. And in the same moments, he is introducing a deeper spiritual reality about contentment. It's this little dance where he's going back and forth saying, thank you, and at the same time, there's a little secret about contentment that I'm about to tell you guys. Verse 12, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of contentment. He's learned the secret of this deep rest and peace. He's going to get to that in a moment. Learn the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. Verse 13, here it is. The verse, most misused out of context. I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. There it is. Now, what do you see as you read this entire passage together? You see that Paul is speaking about doing all things through the one who strengthens me, not in the context of achievement, but in the context of contentment. Not sure at what point where this started happening, but in our our Western mindsets and worldviews, we started using this verse for, for victory, for, for us to be able to go and triumph, to be able to achieve. Like, like if you watch a college football game, you see guys on their, their, uh, their eye black that they've written Philippians 4.13, or maybe it's on their shoes. They're like, I'm going to go win the championship because Christ can give me the strength. And I always wonder, like, what happens if both quarterbacks have those verses on their jersey or their face somewhere? Like, is this some weird neutrality of divine power that kind of collides on the field and nobody walks off the winner? Or we use these verses like students that are in here. You know, they cling to these verses in the morning when they wake up and they realize I did not study hard enough for this test that I'm about to take today. And so Philippians 4.13, I can do all, I can do all things through the one who gives me strength. I'm going to pass this test. No, you're not. No, you're not. Or, or on a more serious note, 
You're going in for a job interview and you're sitting there saying to yourself, okay, I can do all things. I can achieve this. I can, I can do a good interview. I will get hired based off of what? The one who gives me strength. See, we've taken the context of contentment that Paul is talking about and have now moved it to this context of achievement. I'm not sure exactly why we've done this. I have an inkling or a hunch. I'd say that most likely it's because as Westerners, those that are followers of Christ in America, we experience such little hardship, such little hardship or trial that we can't somehow fix on our own. And yet we have this beautiful, powerful, shiny verse that we have to use in some way. And so what do we do? We take it out of its proper context and we put it into a context that fits our Western worldviews a little bit more. And now it is used for achievement. Because for the most part, we can, uh, we can just buy what we want. We can satisfy what we think is this. this we can satisfy and, and find rest and peace in the ability to, to buy things, to, to, to just kind of figure out ways to pay money to fix situations around us. I, I call it the Amazon loop. I, I don't know if anybody else kind of has ever been there. But online shopping, I've heard, understandably so, has gone up over the last couple of months. But if you're like me, this Amazon loop exists in your life where you are online and you're looking and you see something, you go, this will satisfy me. This will bring me this rest and peace. Somehow in our souls, we like think this in our minds, we do this. This, this will be the thing that does it for me. And so we click and we purchase it. And the whole time, like the, the day, if it's overnight or if it's two-day shipping, we're just sitting there, we're just thinking about it. And sometimes, man, they're quick, and so they get it there like half a day. It's just on your front doorstep. I don't even understand. It blows my mind, okay? But, but this anticipation is in us going, yes, finally, I have found that which will bring me contentment in life. And if you're like me, I get the notification and the picture that's on my front doorstep. I bring it in my house. I open it. And I add it to my collection of things. And then I do it all over again an hour later, right? This Amazon loop. And there's something actually happening here that I, I just learned about that where our anticipation plays against us. Did you know that when you are in the state of anticipation, your body is releasing, uh, your body is releasing dopamine. And dopamine is the happy drug. And so while you are in that state, this dopamine is being released in your mind and it's making you happy. But the odd thing about anticipation is that the moment that the anticipation is over and now you have the fulfillment of what you have been anticipating, it's right there in front of you. That dopamine cuts off completely. And so the high that we experience, this, this loop that we go through of this will satisfy me and the happiness that we feel, the moment that object is in our hands, we've been deceived again. This is why, just for another context, Christmas, depending on when you start celebrating Christmas, like I hold the firm belief that Christmas should be celebrated 
from the second half of Thanksgiving Day on. That is the moment that you can start playing Christmas music, you can start singing together, uh, sometimes even family tradition. You can start decorating while people are still at your family, still at your house for Thanksgiving. Okay, and I know some people, beginning of November, maybe even October, for some of you weirdos out there, you're doing it now, okay? But that's why the anticipation of the Christmas season is more fulfilling than the day of Christmas itself. You ever sat there on Christmas Day and knowing that you have an enjoyed time with family, you've enjoyed it, and yet it's not the same as the month leading up to it. It's because of what's happening. It's this this loop that is taking place. And when we apply it to contentment, we just are in this loop of what's the next thing as Westerners that can really make me not have to deal with finding this deeper level of rest and peace on a spiritual level in our lives. We just kind of push it off to the side. Or maybe, maybe you figure that out. And so you play the comparison game. Now, you're probably ahead of me on this as as devout Christians, as followers of Christ. And you say, Mike, we shouldn't compare ourselves to other people. That is only going to bring about envy and greed in our lives. And that's not a good thing because out of that envy and greed, we now are going to be uh, jealous. We're going to be bitter. We're going to be angry because we don't have what we want. Yeah, I know. I'm not talking about that type of comparison. I'm talking about the type of comparison where we don't find people around us that have more than us to compare our lives to. We find people around us that have less. And so if we just look at them, then that should reset our perspective on contentment. And sometimes we even come up with these little phrases and put them in our bathroom so that everybody knows we're content people. One that says, I had no shoes and complained until I met a man who had no feet. It's noble. It sounds like a good type of comparison. It sounds like a good pursuit of contentment. The problem is we're still playing the comparison game. We're still playing it. We're still trapped within this horizontal thinking that at some point, something on this earthly level is going to be able to bring us rest, and peace. And that's not, what the, that's not the game Paul was playing at all. Because for Paul, he says this secret to learning to be content is what? I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. I can do, I can endure, I have the ability to persevere in a way that honors God and promotes his kingdom in all things, in all circumstances. Paul says whether I have a lot or I have a little, it doesn't matter where I am on the spectrum, I can learn to be content. Why? Because of the one who gives me strength. That's the secret for Paul. Not to look horizontally, not to play in any loops to find contentment and think that eventually we'll be able to buy some type of rest or peace. 
or compare ourselves, not to play that game at all, but to say, my contentment solely comes from the sufficiency of Christ and the strength that he offers me so that I can endure through anything at any moment. So really what we see when we look at the proper context of this verse is not that it is to be applied as much to achievement, but it actually finds itself more applied to our failures. When you don't win the big game, you know what? I can do all things. I can endure. I can persevere through all things because of the one who gives me strength. When you go to that job interview and you feel like you've knocked the ball out of the park and you're going to get the job and you're going to be able to start providing for your family at the level that you want to provide for your family, and then you don't get the call back, I can endure. I can persevere. Not because of anything happening horizontally in my life down here on earth, but because of the sufficiency of Christ and the fact that he alone has the ability to give me the strength to get through these moments. Really brings light to the quote, even when I have nothing, I have everything. Now, Hillside, I want to make sure very clearly that as we were preparing for this series, this was a chapter and a verse that I wanted to deal with, and yet, Pete had taken it and then had some changes in his plans, and so he gave it back to me. And as I came to this verse, or these verses this week, I was reminded how discontent I am. To see friends in here during this service and in here during last service, that I have sat around in the last few months and said, do you realize that if God just did this, everything would be fine? Or if God just gave me a little bit more money for this, all of my problems would go away. I would finally be able to be content. All of my plans, all of my dreams, everything would be happening exactly how I want it to be happening. And so as I'm preparing for this this week, it is just destroying me inside of how many ifs I have been thinking and saying to some of my closest friends and family that is just showing the discontentment that exists within me. I'm reminded, reminded of the fact that if this is how I want to think and live, then I am in the wrong faith system. I need to believe in something else because that's not how God and that's not how the sufficiency of Christ works. I got to start looking somewhere else or I've got to come in tune with how Paul is describing this learned contentment that he speaks of. As Paul closes the letter, he closes in a way that is very Paul-like if, if you read other letters that he has. And he continues to do this dance in the next few verses between, again, saying, I'm thankful and what you have done in your thoughtfulness and concern for me is a pleasing, acceptable sacrifice that is, is so, it's so fragrant and pleasing to God, this Old Testament language in the same moments that he's saying, thank you, 
he still was saying, but I am content because I have learned to be that way, whether I have everything or have nothing. He is still enough for me and will give me the strength that is needed. And as we close this letter down and we close this series down, if you don't mind, I would just like to take a little bit of my student ministry perspective and apply it to Philippians 4.13. A few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast, one that I really enjoy listening to, and it's a sports podcast, but every Saturday, this, this guy brings on a different person that maybe isn't even really related to sports, or maybe it's not as related to exactly what's going on that week, and they just have this discussion. And so the person that he had brought on for this Saturday's podcast is someone that is a sports writer that is very involved in, in finding out information about when sports teams are going to start back up their leagues or when leagues are going to start back up and the conflict between the owners and the players and just everything that they're trying to figure out with health concerns. And this guy, he gave a lot of great information about that topic, but he also brought something else that I thought about that hit me really hard. This, this guy that came on his show is actually from New York City. And so... Whether you're in the room or online with us right now, and you are con completely convinced that this is all a conspiracy theory and it's completely made up by the government, or you are the person that is wearing your mask even when you are in the shower, okay? Like, no matter where we are on that spectrum, we have to admit that the New York City Metroplex and North Jersey has been hit the hardest by all of this and the virus that's going on. And so this man was, was sharing a story of a night when he went into his daughter's room and right around bedtime, she had her iPad up and was FaceTiming her friends. And the dad said to her, hey, you're getting ready to go to bed. Why are you on FaceTime with your friends? Like, what's going on right now? And she said, oh, this is, this is a virtual sleepover. We're, what we do is we turn our iPads on, and then while we are just kind of seeing and hearing each other, we just fall asleep while our iPads are on so that we can at least be in the room together. And the dad said, he walked out of the room, tears in his eyes to make sure his daughter didn't see how much he was mourning the loss of normalcy, the hardship that his daughter was going through. And I empathize with him. I think we all understand that things aren't normal and things, we've had hardship and we've had trial. At the same moment, as a student pastor, my first prayer in all of this has not been that everything goes back to normal. My first prayer, hillside, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, my first prayer for this generation, adolescents and children, is not that their lives go back to normal so that they don't have to miss out on the, normal, the normalcy, all the things they look forward to. My first prayer has been 
that everything that is going on drives them to really bring into their lives this context that Paul is talking about in Philippians 4.13. It makes them lean on it. It makes them run to Christ as sufficient and able to give them strength for no matter what they are going through. About four years ago, I did a study on the different generations in America since the year 1900. And I was really specifically looking at what are the strengths and weaknesses of each of these generations. And you know, you know what became very aware to me? Is that there's a reason why the greatest generation is called the greatest generation. Those that were born somewhere between the year 1900 and 1927 are considered the greatest generation. These are people that were born either before or right after World War I had happened. And were living in that world. And then, while they are growing up, the, the country goes through the Great Depression. And they experience another unbelievable hardship for so many economies throughout the United States. And on top of that, most of them now go serve in World War II or sacrifice greatly on behalf of World War II. And when I was trying to look at the strengths and weaknesses of that generation, you know what I found? it's really hard to find any weaknesses. Like one of the weaknesses that somebody suggested was that they're too thrifty. They're too good of savers. In a sense, they have learned contentment too well. Like I think from our childhoods, we can remember being around our grandparents and great-grandparents. And I remember like the first time that my grandma used a Cool Whip container for like chicken salad, and I was like, Mom... Why does she do that? Like, that's for Cool Whip. That's not for chicken salad. You just throw those containers away when you're done with them. Not if you're from these generations, right? And what became very evident to me was that hardship within and amongst a generation was not something that destroyed that generation, but it was actually something that taught them how to be content. And for those that follow Christ, that taught them the sufficiency of Christ and the strength that he offers, and that they are the great generations. And when we fast forward, we see a phrase that has commonly been kind of very closely related to the American dream, and that is, I want to give my kids the life that I didn't have growing up. I want them to have better than what I had. And it is unbelievably well-intentioned of a plan and a dream to have for your children. The problem is that in, right in the mid-1950s, that phrase gets kicked into hyperdrive, almost like on steroids. The men coming back from the war want their kids to have a better life than they had. And what's happened is our removal of hardship, our removal of trial has actually eroded the character, the contentment, skewed perspective on the things that really matter in life. 
and made us feel like, you know what? We don't really need God or his sufficiency in our life because we can do it all on our own. And so parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, as we close this series, here's what I want to say. The greatest gift that you can offer your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, whatever, the greatest gift you can offer them is not buying everything that they need or they think they need. It's not making sure that, that all the hardships in their life are just becoming easy and, and kind of mowing the lawn in front of them so they have this beautiful path to walk on. It's not that at all. Doing that is actually, as I have seen over the last 10 years of being involved in student ministry, is crippling to a generation. What the generation right now, these younger generations need to see are parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles that live their lives with the correct context of Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things. I can be content in all situations. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to have anxiety. I can be exactly what God has designed me to be and live in a way that he has asked me to live in all situations, good or bad, because I have learned to be content. Why? Because of the secret. Because of the one who is able to give me the strength to endure through those moments. They don't need more. They need that. They need to see that exemplified in the older generations through the hardship of 2020. And I don't know. I mean, it's been, it has been quite the year so far, justifiably so in some areas. But there has been hardship. There has been trial. They don't need to hear adults saying, well, I just wish it would all go away. They need to see hillside. They need to see followers of Christ that live in this reality that Paul is talking about, that whether I have a lot or a little, I have everything because of Christ and the strength that he offers. That's what they need. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these moments together. Even though our hearts are so prone and our culture is so prone to try to find contentment, this rest and peace. So many other places, I pray, God, that we as followers of you would live within the spiritual reality that Paul is talking about. That we would learn to be content because we have you and the strength that you provide. Thank you for these challenging words, God. In your name, amen. Hillside volunteers, thank you guys so much for attending and being a part of everything as we gear up for next Sunday. Anybody on the live stream, thank you for joining in with us. Have an unbelievably blessed uh, Sunday, and we will see you next week.